Hello, this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. My name is Katie. I will be your host. This is where we have weekly conversations with all the people I love most from the internet as we navigate all the things we wish we knew when we were in our 20s. My goal here is to help you avoid heartache, go further, faster, and have a more joy-filled life. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to read for you guys a review of the week. This <laughs> makes me so happy. I was asking people to say something like, this is dope, this slays, this is bussin', whatever. Just like funny modern terms of saying you like the podcast. And Callie and Nelson did just that. She said, this podcast slays. And she could have left it there. I would have been happy. But she went on and said, this podcast is honestly so beneficial and useful to listen to as a woman in your 20s. I highly recommend it. Thank you, Callie, for that sweet review. And thank you to everyone who leaves a review. It really helps the podcast do all the magical things and help it to find more ears. Before we get into the meat of today's episode, I want to make sure I invite you to my newly renovated website. I've spent a lot of work behind the scenes just making it more user-friendly, making it prettier, making it more brand in line and all of that magical stuff. One thing noteworthy is mentoring has been renovated, I guess you could say. It is easier to find now. I have a digital course. I combined everything. I had two digital courses, a dating plan and heartbreak to happily ever after. Now I just combined it. All of my best dating advice is what it's called, simple and to the point. I mean, everything from singleness to dating to what I've learned in 17 years of marriage, like it's all there. Highly recommend. It's just things that I find I go over, over and over again when I have live mentoring calls. But live mentoring cards are also still available. You can just do a one-time call if you just want a quick like outsider's opinion. And I also have six-week mentoring available. I love doing that. I love growing with you and seeing you grow. Anyway, so it's all available at katiebulmer.life. I would love to invite you to come by and let me know if you did. My social media is the best way to get in contact with me. You can DM me on Instagram or comment on something crazy I do on TikTok. Either way, they are katiebulmerlife on Instagram and TikTok. Okay, today's episode is a friend in real life. My husband and I went to a mastermind where we learned to be speakers. This was years ago before I started doing the speaking that I'm doing my husband was friends with this guy who has this speaking mastermind. Anyway, we met a guy named Bob Faby. Bob wrote a book called The Dignity Gap. This word dignity is something I'm sure you've heard of, but it's such a beautiful, powerful, and profound word. And when it comes to doing your 20s with dignity, Bob is just the expert. And I wanted to have him on and him to unpack why he wrote this book, what this means to do your 20s with dignity. And men of integrity, what does that look like? I think we're starved in this culture. Some of us, we don't have that as an example. Bob challenges men to rise up and be a man of integrity. And he talks about it all today on this podcast. So here we go. You're out in Phoenix and I'm in, so total opposite sides of the country, but yeah. That's, but, that's right. <laughs> love what each other are doing on social media. And I was like, you got a new book coming out, Bob. We got to get you on the podcast. Yeah, I sure appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun that... Uh, like-minded people can kind of connect and uh, work together. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear about the book, but first I want to back up. Like you wrote, not my Jesus, fascinating, yep. fabulous book. Um, who is Bob? <laughs> like, how did you get here? Like a little bit of background and then let's get into all the good stuff. Sure. Well, um, I, I would say first and foremost, I really love Jesus. Um, and that's what defines me most um, prominently in my life. And that, that he has, uh, um, rescued me from myself, I think would be the best way to put it. So my life is caught up in Christ. And what that means then is that I, 
I'm going to carry on what Christ has um, asked us to do. And so really um, the way that I look at my life is that it's Christ's life in me. And then I need to go live that out in the world uh, in the best way that I know how. And so that's the whole part. I think then other parts of it um, look like I've been, we just celebrated 27 years of marriage, awesome. uh, which is super exciting. Yep. Yeah. She's, uh, she's remarkable in pretty much every way. Uh, my kids are 22 and 20. So truth for your 20s matters. Really <laughs> grateful for your podcast. Uh, super, super helpful. And I know that my daughter follows you. So I'm, I'm really Aww, glad. Yay. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah. And then I've uh, been in uh, ministry for over 20 years and listen to people really talk about their work for 20 years. You know, a lot of times when you're sitting in, in, in the pastor seat, you'll hear people talk about the things that are on their heart and on their mind and the things that are hurting them. And ultimately uh, you realize that um, people spend a lot of time at work and, uh, and the relationships at work matter. And so part of why I wrote the book was that there, there's pretty clearly a gap of dignity at their workplace. And, and so I wrote this book in, as a way of trying to say like, what does it look like for people to, to one, embrace their own dignity um, but then to um, validate the dignity of those around them in the workplace. Wow. And it's so good about how, well, I guess let's back up. What does dignity mean? It's a beautiful <laughs> word and I want it on a t-shirt, but like what, unpack it for us. Sure. So what's funny is that words nowadays are, um, they don't mean what they used to mean or they yeah. kind of get hijacked or they get, I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how to talk about that, but, but what, so what happens with a lot of people is people will say, you know, dignity, and then they'll say respect. And one of the most important things, and this, this comes from um, Donna Hicks, who um, she is the goddess on all things dignity. I mean, she's, she's phenomenal and Harvard, um, Harvard professor who has written two books. Um, one is called dignity and the other is leading with dignity. Um, so I always try to try to um, recognize her as as kind of the forerunner for me, anyways, on that. But she points out, and I and I agree wholeheartedly with her that dignity is um, an inherent value, and that respect is the other word that people try to use when they talk about dignity. Um, is actually earned, and so respect can be gained or lost. I don't have to respect you, which is really great. Um, but I do have to treat you with dignity because dignity is an inherent value that's true of every single human being who has ever lived and ever will live. And so when you talk about what dignity is, it means that people are valuable, period. Full stop. Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's, that's it. No, I, yeah, I think that's great. I haven't heard it about it that way. And I like it. Like respect can be earned or lost, but dignity is an inherent value. Uh, as you said, you know, whether just because you're a living, breathing human being. Um, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> I think that that's fabulous. And I think that um, what a great way to just treat our fellow man, right? Obviously with his dignity, whether they mm -hmm. have earned it or not is just, you know, treating each other with dignity. When you just studying Donna, like I would love to maybe just sharing some aha moments as you studied this thing so much. Like what, what does it mean for um, 20 somethings in college or in the workplace? Like 
how do we like the annoying person? You know what I mean? There's so many things to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think first, first and foremost, we, we wind up thinking about other people like objects and that's a problem. And so one of the places that I start with dignity with most people is I talk about name calling and things that we do in our own heads as we say, oh, that person is a blank, fill in the blank. And I don't, um, I don't think that most of us do the need, the work that's needed to separate identity from behavior. Really, really critical. Uh, most people will think about themselves and their identity as their behavior. And so they say, well, I am this because I did this. And when it comes to the 20s, I mean, um, a lot of times, especially uh, young women will think of themselves as their last mistake. Um, and, and they'll put an identity over themselves that Christ would never put over them first and foremost. But then second, it's, it's just simply not true. And so you can keep making mistakes. That's behavior and behavior can change. That's no problem, but identity can't change. And, and so when we talk about identity, I mean, dignity, um, certainly, um, you, you know, you can, you could be paid to do something, but that's not your full identity. So you could say, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm an engineer, I'm whatever, um, teacher, um, you, you know, you can say those things and it's true that that's what you do to get paid. Um, but that's not the sum of who you are. It's not all of what it means to, to have your dignity validated. I love what you said that a lot of times we will look at us as, uh, you know, the sum of my last mistake, like what a pitiful and shallow definition of who you are as a human being and right. reframing that is, is so critical. So are there steps? Like what, how do you start Sometimes we're our own worst critic, like re reclaiming that, re-seeing that um, dignity and value in ourselves. Sure. And I would, uh, I would say, you know, there's two things and I, and I appreciate Brene Brown um, when she talks about this because she divides uh, guilt and shame and that, that guilt is behavior based and I can feel guilty. I did something wrong. You know, I broke a window. I feel bad. I shouldn't have broke that window. Or, man, I slept with that dude I shouldn't have slept with. Or, or you know, from guy's perspective, same thing. And you say, okay, that's behavior-based. Shame is I am something wrong. So I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm those things. Well, those are two different things. One is identity and one is behavior. And you you first and foremost have to get those separated. So, so you can ask yourself this question. Um, are there terms that I label myself as, you know, stupid, ugly, worthless, moron, idiot, whatever, that aren't true, or that is specifically in a Christian context, Christ would never say about me. Um, and, and I go, you know, I go directly to the scriptures and the stories where <laughs> there's a woman caught in adultery in John, uh, John uh, six or eight, I've, I'm getting it confused, but in, in the gospel of John, where this woman is literally caught having sex with somebody else's husband. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you can't get out of that. And they're drug, they drag her before Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't sit there and say, man, you are such a slut. <laughs> you are yeah. such a terrible person. Well, if Christ wouldn't say that of her in that moment, then he certainly wouldn't be saying that of you, even when you think that's true about yourself. So you, you really have to, I, I, I mean, I think one of the greatest sins that, 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 that people, especially in their 20s, but man, it just goes on and on in life, is that one of the biggest sins is that we disagree with Christ about who we are. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that. Um, yeah. he, he has spoken truth over us, and 
and it's sinful for us to believe or to speak truth over and against what Christ has to say. I'm writing that down. We disagree with Christ on who we are. Gosh, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. And, and gosh, I, I'm just thinking, that's kind of the oldest sin in the book as well. Like, we think it's kind of also thinking that we know better. Like, oh, yeah, God, you know, you say I'm worthy and redeemed, but you don't, yeah. you don't really know. Like, yeah. You don't know uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually, really know me. He's like, so, oh, yeah, so, actually, and, I do. Yeah, Romans, uh, it's sort of Romans 5, I think, where, where Paul is saying, listen, even at your worst, like, you know, Christ died for you. This is not, this is not like, hey, once I get my act cleaned up that Jesus can yeah. find me acceptable. It's literally being drug in front of everybody with your sin out in front of everything. And Jesus doesn't sit there and call you names. He says, stop it. Yeah. It's yeah. about the behavior. It's not about. It's not about the person. And and that's one thing I would say. Uh, you know, especially to young people, we we host young people in our home all the time, and we have a, a young adult group that we've and and we've had young adult groups for for a long time. And one of the things I want to say is is that um, you guys are okay. You're gonna make it. It's gonna be okay. But you know, there's there's behaviors that that you probably want to change. And they're not who you are. So, so really understanding your identity, asking the hard question: Are there things that I say of myself that aren't true, and 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 that Christ would disagree with? And then, and then the second step, I think you were asking for steps a little bit ago. The second step would be: Okay, what does it look like for me to embrace what Christ has to say is true about me? Well, what that means is you have to actually learn what that is. <laughs> what does he say is true about me? Okay. And then, and then you walk that out. I mean, uh, surround yourself with people who do that, but then also remind yourself frequently of what he says is true and pray like crazy. I mean, I used to pray and I still do pray. Um, when I have a pretty clear sense that I am not sensing how, how loved I am or how cherished I am, I will stop and pray. And I just ask God to show me what that's like right now. I know you love me, Lord. I don't feel it. I feel shame. I'm, I made a mistake. Um, could you show me what that looks like? So, you, you know, I think it's part of it is on a fundamental level with our relationship with Christ, but then also like our relationship with our friends or, or the people around me, um, are they the ones who are actually validating my dignity over and over? Or are they violating my dignity over and over? And then maybe they're not friends. Um, that, or, they're, yeah. or they're types of people that you want to be hanging out with. So yeah, you can you can wrestle with some really difficult questions that are um, I think essential in the first in the first stage of what it means to uh, be a person of dignity. Yeah. And if you just that question right there, am I surrounding myself with people who remind me of my dignity or removing it. I don't remember what you said, but it was perfect. Violate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. My word. If, if there is someone around you violating your dignity, this is your sign. Right. <laughs> In yeah, that exactly. relationship. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and especially when it comes to uh, relationships, you know, between men and women, um, part of what happens is, is that, is that you're, you're wondering if they're going to validate your dignity and you're trying to validate their dignity. And I use those terms and we kind of go like, well, what does that mean? Well, what it really means is, is, is that I, I recognize you as somebody who's incredibly valuable. And so you don't treat things of value poorly. Right. Um, 
so, so what does that look like? Well, it's going to look a little different for each person. Uh, for some, uh, that means that you're always going to open the door for me or, you know, do something like that. Uh, but for other people, it's going to, it's going to look different, but that's an important question to ask. I think, I think also, um, if, if, especially when I think about this and I think about my own daughter and I think about, um, many of the females that I've sat with, um, I believe this, and I, this is why I appreciate what you do so much, Katie, is that if, if women understood their worth, the world would be a completely different place because men who would try to treat women as less than they are would never stand a chance. Amen. <laughs> right? It would just not stand a chance. So, yeah. so I, think about, I think about the guys who are, um, who are trying to find their own identity. Uh, they don't understand their own value, and so when they when they come to women and they're they're saying, "Hey, you know, be in a relationship," or "I just want to hook up," I mean, whatever they want to do, um, it's super objectifying, yeah, and it's and it's just not okay. And so yeah. one of the things I say to men is 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 I said, "Well, you 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 don't like being treated like an object," and and so if I were to just label you and put you in a corner and call you a name or, or, or belittle you or shame you. Um, that doesn't feel very good. Well, I gotta, I gotta say, you know, like if, if you do that to a woman by how you treat her, how you talk about her, how you think about her, um, that's every bit as evil, uh, and that's not okay. Yeah. And so, so working hard against objectification in the, in your twenties is a is a challenge. It, it shouldn't be, but you're right. It it's definitely is. And I think it's a learning curve, like you said. I don't think that young men go into any relationship or, or women, you know, we can both be objectifying by saying, I want to treat this person, you know, take away their dignity, treat them as an object. Like no one has right. those thoughts, but, but the actions obviously speak louder. And, um, and it's usually because of their own brokenness and, and whatever it may be. But um, yes, this conversation is so important. Um, and speaking of conversations, you've had some talks with fraternities. Is that right? You know, I've reached out to a couple. Um, I didn't get a chance to schedule, but but young men have been a place that I've spoken to often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even when I was in my master's program, I was a um, I was the uh, what is the floor brother nice. <laughs> for a uh, yeah for a group of men, and and that's just always been a part of what I've done. So yeah, well, I haven't, just haven't had a chance of... to break in it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Just speaking of groups of men in general, like I know we just touched on that a little bit, but like I'd love for you just to you know, the mic is yours. You have a uh, hundred young guys in front of you. Like what, what do you say in those conversations? Um, well, I mean, obviously sure it depends <laughs> on the context. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Well, let's say, let's, let's, let's make some assumptions first. Let, okay. Let's say that, that these are a group of 20 somethings and, um, and they have Christian tendencies. Okay. Um, and I, and I say tendencies because uh, just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. And I'm sure, sure you know, your, you and your audience know that well. But the first thing I would talk to them about is courage. Um, and the reason I talk about courage is because many men feel as if they don't possess courage. And, and I say, you, here's what courage is. Courage is facing fear. It's not the absence of fear. And then yeah. it means that you have to ask the question, what am I actually afraid of? And men uh, in general aren't good at asking that question. They're even, I think, um, less uh less adept at answering it because fear is something that we all orient to um but in particular i think it's it's an issue because you say well 
I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of, of not measuring up. I'm afraid of, I mean, there's a number of things. And then, and then the courage is to say like, what does it look like for me to stare that fear in the face and be able to be able to um, overcome it or at least to operate in the, in the face of that fear. And the reason I start there is because what I think happens then is that, is that somebody says, Hey, if, if, if I'm dealing with fear, um, and I'm actually in a relationship, then I'm going to visit my fear on that other person. And yeah. that's something I don't want to do. And so, so all of us have been in relationships where we've been afraid, you know, man, if I don't do this, they're going to leave. Or if I don't do this, they're not going to like me. Or if I don't do this. And, and so when, when fear is kind of the driving factor of a relationship, then you're, you're already started in an ugly place. Um, and so, so what I say is if, if, if men can be courageous, well, then we're not going to orient to fear the same way we would if we weren't courageous. And then what that means is that I can ask harder questions and I can overcome things that I, I may absolutely need to overcome. And then it gets to, okay, if that's true, I'm the kind of person who can overcome things. Mm. <laughs> you get where I'm going. I mean, it, yes. it, gets you to, it gets you to a place where they're able to say, this is, this is the kind of person I am. And then, and then wrestle with, I have worth that is not just based on my ability to have courage, but, but period. I just, you know what, I, I have worth and it's not tied up in all of the things that the world would want me to tie it up in. And so, so I kind of take that track with them. I, I think also um, I would want them to know that they're okay too. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a long ways probably away from wanting to say that, 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 um, men aren't objectified the same way that women are. Um, we are, it's different. It looks different, uh, but we certainly are objectified. And, and actually all you have to do is take a look at the, here's one of my favorite things that I used to do with my son, but I we would watch TV and I would watch the commercials and I would say, tell me what this commercial says about being a man. Mm. And I would recommend to you and your audience to do the same thing. What does it say? Uh, about being a man in North America today. Just take the next 10 commercials that you watch and the overwhelming majority of commercials are with the kind of the stupid, um, ignorant uh, male kind of picture. Wow. And it's valid, it's not dignity validating at all, it's violating. And so I understand that's how marketing work and I understand where the money comes from and stuff, but, but the overall message sent, um, you know, is like, oh, you're just a poor man. Um, you don't really know uh, those kinds of things. And so as for men, we have to come against those kinds of things that aren't true about us. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, embrace our own, our own dignity. That's so good. Just thinking about kind of unpacking the commercials with your kids. I have a um, soapbox and this was, this is years ago before, I, I think our kids were little, but um, they didn't watch this with me. I just, anyway, I have a commercial embedded in my brain. It's like, you know, a five second clip um, this guy sits up in the bed. It's clearly like the morning after a hookup and he goes, what's your name again? And the audience laughs. And I'm like infuriated because mm -hmm. in that clip, it, it, it's not only recommended, it's, it's downright laughable to just right. hook up with someone you don't even know their name. And yeah. I, oh, I wrote blog posts on it. I just had so many strong feelings, but, um, but yes, you know, something we also don't think about 
I'm getting on my high horse about um, marketing and stuff is the people who oh, write yeah. these scripts, they are not relationship experts. They are not sitting there mm-hmm. going, huh, how can we convey what healthy relationships look like? That, that is not even considered. They're liking, how can no. we sell? How do we make more money? How do we get you to watch it? Or how do we be so scandalous that everyone's talking about it and we get free marketing? So exactly. don't look to the media. And, and I get it. We all do in some way. We, we say that we don't, but we do. Like this is the model in the movies and the TVs. The people behind mm-hmm. the scenes in these, like the people writing the script are not relationship experts and they definitely do not have your best interest at heart. No, they have their, they have, they want your money. They literally yes. want to reach into my pocket and take my money. I understand yeah. that, you know, but I think, I think we do have to ask a really hard question about, about what are the, what are the messages that are being sent to men in this culture? And obviously um, what are the messages that are being sent to, to women in this culture? And we, we literally, uh, we, I think we absolutely have to recognize the fact that our culture does not send us Christ filled messages. Sure. And, and so, I always think, okay, well, what does it look like to live counterculturally then? And I believe that that validating the dignity of every person we run into, whether it's in the store or anywhere, is the key. Um, it's absolutely critical. And and when I'm speaking in churches, so I'll I'll use Zacchaeus as the uh, as the baseline for this message, uh, which is kind of funny because everybody kind of knows the story. And I hope you don't mind if I do this, but yeah. but one of the things about Zacchaeus's story is that. Um, you know, Rome has set up uh, tax collectors and tax collectors are hated because nobody likes Rome and nobody wants to pay taxes and nobody wants to pay taxes today, let alone back then. And then what tax collectors would do is take a, take a percentage off the top of what somebody owed them. So you'd have a 5% tax and then the tax collector would add a, another percent just for themselves. And then if you have a chief tax collector, then they've taken percentages of percentages. It's like the worst multi-level marketing scam yeah. ever. So then, so then Rome puts Zacchaeus, who is a short person, and I've done a little research, and I actually believe that Zacchaeus was likely a dwarf, yeah. um, and and that so that he, they're putting him in charge to really stick it to to the Jews. So he's he's a dwarf. He people would have viewed him and his family as as aberrant. There's something wrong with that family because they had a little person, um, and so. So Zacchaeus probably got picked on his whole life. He probably got made fun of. Like he just, this this guy has a chance now when Rome puts him in charge of collecting taxes to really stick it to people. Like, oh yeah, you you got to pay taxes to me now. And you're the one who made fun of me, you know, quote unquote, in third grade. Right. <laughs> whatever the case may be. So what's really crazy is when Jesus shows up and um, and we tell the story, you know, Zacchaeus climbs in the tree and Jesus comes and he says, hey, I want you, I want to have dinner with you. The way that we tell the story literally is from kind of the perspective of an angry Sunday school teacher. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what are you doing to that tree, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, you come down and we sing this song. Uh-huh. It's, it's exactly like that. And there's literally no anger and there's no frustration in the passage whatsoever. But what, what Jesus does is he sees Zacchaeus first and foremost, and he, he sees him as somebody who's in need. Mm. And he doesn't look at him as somebody who's, who needs to be fixed or, or any of those things. He says, hey, I want you to come down because I'm going to come and eat with you. And this is literally Christ saying, I'm going to be with you. So he sees him. He wants to be with him. And in the meal, what's interesting is that Jesus never, he doesn't talk to him about his sin. He doesn't share the gospel with them. He doesn't do any of those things. And what happens? Zacchaeus stands up and says, okay, 
if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay back four times the amount and I'm going to give back what I've taken. And he, he literally assigns his life to poverty. I mean, if you do the math, like he's, he's getting rid of all of his money and, and Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. And I, the reason that that's a baseline story for me is because Jesus validated Zacchaeus's dignity. He knew how much he was worth. He treated him accordingly. And Zacchaeus was transformed by that. And so there is enormous power in being able to validate the dignity of people around us. And it has transformative power because it's rooted in the truth about who God has made us and who he's made them. I'm sitting here thinking about how Zacchaeus was kind of a jerk. You know, the people didn't like him. Uh, I'm saying in my humanness. And then... Jesus walks by and he's like, you got worth too, buddy. You know, like that, that's huge. You know, we talk about the broken and the, the hurt and, and all of that's good and needs to be talked about too, but he was just a jerk. <laughs> I can't imagine, I cannot imagine him not sticking it to every single person he collected taxes from. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and he was bitter. You know, he had his reasons too, but yeah. Operate in pain, man. He's, he's, he, I, I, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, projecting probably, but it's like, if you're a little person and you've grown up with the idea that your life is sinful, because in the Jewish first century culture, if you're born with something abnormal or there's something abnormal about how you're, you, you know, growing, then, then the idea is you're sinful. So when, so when there was a man that was blind and the, the disciples asked Jesus, Hey, was this guy blind? What, what? he's been blind from birth. Did he sin or did his family sin or what's going on? So, so, so that idea is rooted in the ancient world that, Hey, something's um, malformed or something like that, but then there's sinfulness. So right from the get-go, I would believe that Zacchaeus's identity would be rooted in the fact that there's something deeply wrong with me. Everybody reminds me of what's wrong with me. Um, and, and um, so uh, the uh, the thought that he might actually lash out a little bit makes sense to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and all of that makes sense. And then he met a guy named Jesus. <laughs> and it changed. Everything yeah. changed. And I think so. So when I think about when you go to the store and you're having a bad day and all you're trying to do is get your tasks done, when you go to class and you're, you got your head down and you, you, you know, you're just trying to get through the day, that there's a Zacchaeus everywhere around yeah. you. There's, there's somebody who could use you validating their dignity. And that may only look like um, that you're kind or that you yeah. smile or, or that you hold a door or, or that you, you know, any part of the validation is, uh, is critical. And, and it means something to people when you do that, because you know that it means something to you. I was having a really bad day and this person was so sweet to me. And it changes things. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I just want to, you said something about being countercultural and kind of leading into this as well. Like this conversation, treating people with dignity, not objectifying people. We all say we want to live that way, but it is countercultural. And mm-hmm. so maybe just kind of like, I know that was uh, a lot about your, your first book and maybe unpacking that, but like, what does it look like as a 20 something to live countercultural? And I don't know, this whole idea of, maybe unpacking more examples like you just did being a light and treating people with dignity who may may not quote deserve it or, or just on yeah. our nerves or yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think, I think um, 
if it's true that we are worthy of dignity, then it's true that everybody is worthy of dignity. Um, and we can't say something is true of us um, in this capacity and not true of the people around us. Um, and so unless we want to live uh, duplicitous lives, um, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna struggle with that. And I, and I understand that we do. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, that, that I have this down perfectly or that I'm, I'm, you know, I don't get upset about people's behavior, but the, I think the biggest, the biggest part of this is that, you know, you're a 20 something um, and you, you, you're forming your identity around um, so many different things. You're learning new things about yourself. You're finding out what you like and what you don't like. You're trying to figure out who your, you know, who your spouse is going to be and what maybe you got some thoughts and plans about kids and careers and all of those things are unknowns. And so then when you think about, I want to live counterculturally, um, that adds a layer that's significant. And you think like, well, how can I possibly fight against this culture? And, and what I would say to you is one is that the light always shines brightest in the dark. So yeah. I don't care how dark the culture is, doesn't matter a lick to me. Um, it's about how you choose to behave and how you choose to think. And it's really up to you to be able to say, this is what I value and this is why I value that. And then it's a matter of saying, okay, what does it look like for me to live out this value? And then get granular about it when you say, okay, well, what does it look like to live out this value when I choose to, when I wake up? Um, and <laughs> you can get really granular if you want and you say, well, um, am I choosing to shower on a you know regular basis? Am I taking care of myself? I mean, just, just yeah. hygiene, now, especially for younger people when you, when you get to like junior high and you're like, yeah. hey, it'd be a good idea for you to take care of this. But I have met, I have met some 20 somethings and I would argue that most of them were guys. <laughs> I was like, hey, you might want to up the hygiene game. Yeah. But, the, but the reality is, is that how you think about yourself is rooted in that. It's super mm. important. And so, so on a granular level, it's like, hey, how, how am I treating my body? You can ask questions about, am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating right? Am I, am I doing the things that I know that I need to do to treat myself well as I would honor something that is of incredible worth? And then as you go through your day, you can just, I mean, driving is a great example of, of how to, how to try to exercise dignity. Um, you know, you get in the car and, and there's all these other people who disagree with you about how you're supposed to get somewhere or where yeah. you're supposed to go, or you're on your bike or you're walking and people cut you off. And it's easy to have thoughts about people that are just instantaneously objectifying. That guy's a jerk. Well, are they, or maybe they're, um, trying to get their pregnant wife to the hospital. So, so reframing is a, is a really important perspective when it comes to that. Um, so if, if there's maybe a, a better example, uh, Katie, you can, you can lead me in that, but it's a, it's a moment by moment decision to, yeah. to validate your own dignity. No, I think that's a great answer. And I, I think that just having the conversation about being countercultural is so important because we're creatures of, um, I can't think of a better word than influence. Like, you know, we, we live in community and all of that's good and wonderful, but when we as Christians look no different than the world, there's a problem. And, and it starts, I think, like what you said, this basis, this very like, you know, bare bones of treating other human beings, other creations of our creator with dignity and um, realizing that, 
you know, no matter how big of a jerk or whatever, just having that honor and respect for yourself where it starts. And then, well, so, and I, yeah. And I would say, I would say even so, and forgive me, but I mean, you said honor and respect and it's like, I don't have to respect you. You're right. I don't. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. So I'm picturing, I'm picturing somebody listening to this or sitting in their sorority house and uh, you know, there's, there's three girls that they really like. Uh, there's a number of girls that they kind of get along with. And then a bunch of girls that maybe <laughs> don't, and then maybe two or three girls that you think might be your enemy. Well, the question you want to ask yourself is what does it mean that they were made in God's image? And what do, what do they tell me about what God is like? How can I learn what God is like based on, on, seeing them as made in God's image. And then I can talk to them about their behavior. When you belittle me, when you say these things, when you don't invite me, when you, when you, when you, yeah, maybe even just roll your eyes, whatever the thing may be, um, when you do those things, um, this is how it makes me feel. Is that what you want to have happen? Um, Really, really important conversation. Now, not everybody's willing to have that conversation because you're 20. It's like, okay, well, they're just, you know, and so you go into protective mode. And I think vulnerability is one of the most important aspects of dignity. The, the ability to say, I have value. Um, I don't care for this treatment. Um, and it's about behavior. It's not about you. It's about your behavior. Super, super important to be able to have those conversations. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, you know, I talk about treating other people with dignity in a hundred percent, but then it's like, but if someone like, like I'm thinking of a um, a romantic relationship, you know, if you're not being treated well, obviously having that dignity in yourself to be like, this is not, this is not good. Yeah, that's not what I want. And we can we can um, there there will be no shortage of people who want to uh, violate our dignity. Mm. That's just the case. So, yeah. so being able to validate our own is, is of the utmost importance. And I, and I, I think it's important too. I mean, mom, Katie, your mom, you, you have little girls. Um, and uh, do you always agree with their behavior? No. No. Do you love them? Yes. Never changes, does it? No. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, it's when people talk to me and they say, well, you, you know, you have to agree with me in order to love me. And I think, no, that's simply not true. Right. I don't always agree with my children. I don't always agree with my wife uh, and I love them dearly. Right. And so, so there's room in there for us to be able to say, um, I'm going to treat you according to who you are. And, uh, and I can talk to you about your behavior is different. So, so even in thinking about ourselves, um, whether or not we're going to embrace the truth about what Christ has to say about us um, is, is super important uh, because you, like you, like I said, I mean, you're not your last mistake. You're not right that's not who you are. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, Bob, I, first of all, shout out to anyone listening who has connections with a fraternity, get Bob as a speaker. He just, as you can tell, speaks with just wisdom and grace and humility and his voice needs to be heard. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Kate. Appreciate that. Tell us about the book. How can we get it? What can we expect from it? All that good stuff. Sure. So this book is, uh, it's called the dignity gap. And it's, uh, it's actually more pointed at, at like a workplace uh, kind of book or a business book and um, trying to help people to see that in the workplace, it's important to treat people with dignity and, and how that actually affects the bottom line. So believe it or not, it's shocking when you treat people with dignity, things go better with work. <laughs> and so um, that's where it's pointed. Uh, it's going to come out. Uh, we're, we're, we're hoping uh, by 
by the beginning of November, uh, could be uh, the end of November. Okay. I'm hoping by the beginning of November and then, um, yeah, we'll roll that out and, and get, get to, uh, get to all the marketing fun that you know all about. <laughs> uh, I try. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, I'll make sure that people know we can get it and pre-order, get all that good stuff. Well, um, I want to ask you before we let you go, if you could have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? You know, I think I've heard you ask this question of other people on your um, podcast, and I, I've wrestled with this actually, um, uh, fairly deeply. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's one of those like great, great question, and I, I would probably want to say a number of things, but you know, when I think about it, mostly it would be about it would be about dignity. It would be about shame. Mm -hmm. um, I carried a lot of shame, especially in my 20s. And um, I think I would say something along the lines of what I'm saying today, you aren't your behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that embracing who Christ says you are um, looks very different than how you're choosing to live. Yeah, that'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know whether I would have listened or not. I don't know that there were other That's people who didn't say dollar, that. Yeah. <laughs> Would I have well, chosen to listen? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the package and the timing and everything else. But our goal, obviously, with the podcast is hopefully just a, a few more listens and a few people, yeah, just avoiding the same mistakes for sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing light on this beautiful million-dollar word, dignity, and helping us just treat our fellow man with that and ourselves as well. You bet. Happy to be here, Katie. Thanks. Thank you.